I was thinking about something this afternoon. We had a conversation last night. Several of us young people got together and we were talking about different needs and we prayed and let the Lord speak to us. And I was thinking about two examples of two people that I know that in the same year went through turning point crisis in their life. And I'm going to tell the negative first and then I'm going to tell the positive. The crises were different but similar. And one was a man in his early 30s who left the Lord and fell into all kinds of snares and habits. And, and yet there was something in him that wanted to get his life back on course. And from time to time, when the way of the transgressor proved harder and harder, he would make efforts to get a hold of God. He would make efforts to connect with God. And he called me a couple times from jail, and could you help me? And, and uh, finally, everything came to a crisis point where he found himself facing criminal charges because of negligence and other things. He was facing criminal charges that there was just no running from. And he was in jail, and he was brought before the court. And in one of these court cases, I had actually got to be up there with him. I went up and sat in the courtroom with him, and we sat there uh, in a courtroom that was really quite crowded early in the morning. And one case after another came before that judge. And that judge was fairly expressionless, and he listened. And in most cases, the plaintiff had made some sort of plea deal with the district attorney. And they would say, you know, I plead guilty to this crime and so that I can get this sentence. And, and the judge would ask him, he'd check and double check that they really understood that they were admitting to the crime. And they would say, yes, your honor. Each one hanging his head. Yes, Your Honor, I understand. I understand the charges. Yes, Your Honor. And they were filing in and filing out. I'm not intending to depress you. I'm going somewhere with this, but it was so depressing. It was one of the most depressing moments of my life. And uh, I knew my brother was about to stand before this same judge. And I wanted to help him. So sure enough, he's proceeding through the docket. And I'm sitting there. And my wife is next to me. And all of a sudden, this man walks in. He's a lawyer, defense attorney. He speaks to the judge, and he, he works out a deal with one of the plaintiffs. And he's leaving the courtroom. And I say to Rebecca, I said, that's the guy we need today. And obviously, he's walking out of the courtroom. It's, things are happening very fast. And I stand up and intercept him at the aisle, and I say, sir, I need your help. And he said, I'm sorry, I've got a full schedule. And he's passing me by. And I said, look, I need to talk to you just for a minute. And he said, well, do I know you? And I said, not yet. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, come over here. And we, he took me into this room. And I said, I'm trying to help this, this guy. And I said, I'm a minister. And I'm trying to help him. We've got a program. We can help him. Would you, would you help us? And he said, you know him. Most people say they're a minister. When I hear that, it doesn't mean anything to me. But for some reason, when you just now said it, something sparked in my heart. It meant something to me. And he said, we're going to help you. And he, of course, asked me for a down payment. Uh, <laughs> brotherly kindness right there. Amen. So I uh, went to the ATM and came back and bank account emptied, promise made, Amen. And he said, okay, you and I need to go right now and we need to speak to the district attorney because the charges have already been filed against 
the brother you're trying to help. And I said, okay. So we literally intersected with the district attorney at the end of lunch break when he's going back in. And I said, uh, excuse me, Mr. James, but I need to speak with you urgently about some charges that are up, up for uh, adjudication today. And he said, in a very brusque, impatient way, he said, I don't have time. You need to consult with my assistant, Anthony. And I was like, oh, no. And this attorney who he just hired said, no, this is great. He said, I can work with Anthony. I can't work with him. <laughs> so he then went into Anthony's office and he said, your boss has just authorized me to renegotiate charges that your office has made against my client. I was like, oh, is that what he said? You know? <laughs> and Anthony's like, really? He says, yes. And what we're looking is for you to drop all felony charges and modify it down to a misdemeanor. And he and Anthony literally went behind a closed door and <clears throat> talked it out and came out. And he said, you must be praying because the Lord is on your side. And I said, amen, great. So then we go back into the courtroom because we have to get the judge to agree that the charges can be modified down because they've already been filed with the court and that the hearing can then proceed to a smaller courtroom with a judge who deals with misdemeanors as opposed to felonies. And so we stand there in the courtroom and the attorney comes up and he says, Your Honor, I'm submitting a motion to shift this client's hearing to so-and-so's courtroom this afternoon. And the district attorney stands up and he says, I object. He said, your client has felony charges. You can't take him to a courtroom that only deals in misdemeanors. And he said, uh, Your Honor, uh, the district attorney here authorized me to renegotiate the charges of my client with his underling, Mr. Anthony. And the district attorney was not very happy. And the judge said, Did you authorize him to discuss this and renegotiate this with Mr. Anthony? And he's like, uh, yeah, I did tell him to speak with Mr. Anthony. Okay, motion granted. <laughs> it was just like that was the Lord. And so we walked into the room, and long story short, they said, you don't have any felony charges brought against you. They're all being dropped, and you're being modified down to just a misdemeanor, if. And that was the big scary word, if. They said, this is called a deferred sentence. And if you'll do these two simple things, you'll pay $1,500 over the course of six months, and you'll do eight hours of community service. And they said you can do it at your church back there in Waco. If you'll do these two things, you're going to have no felony on your record, and you're not liable for those charges. And we walked out praising God. That attorney shook my hand, and he said, it's been a long, long time since I knew why I was a defense attorney. And I remembered why today. And it moved me. It caused praise and thanksgiving. But remember, this is the sad story in the two stories that I was going to tell. That individual could not force himself to apply himself to meeting those two simple prerequisites to his freedom. He just couldn't do it, whether through distraction or disrespect of the system or whatever reason. He just couldn't do it. And it's like he had to be living in denial. 
But he did. He lived there. And then when it came to the expiration time, they gave him an extension. And he still didn't do it. And now he's in jail again. And he's got that charge and other charges with no out hanging over him. Amen. I said I shared all this and I didn't mean to bring you down. But I asked myself, what is it? What is it in human nature that refuses to reckon with the severity of our condition so that we would actually implement the radical changes that are required to be set free? And then I thought of the second story. It's very close to home. It's about my dad. We got the terrifying news, as this whole church knows, that he had... My mom called me one morning and she said, Son, I am not one to get real nervous, but I've just gotten off the phone with Brother Howard and I am afraid your dad has cancer. She said, I I see the signs, I can tell he's got cancer. And it was a blow. I mean, it was a blow to him, it was a blow to all of us. And we prayed and we knew his heart was weak, we knew he wasn't young, and we were worried. We were really worried, but the Lord kept speaking to us. This is not the disease by which he's going to die. And we kept hanging on to that. And finally, it happened right before I was going to New Zealand and then South Africa. And I was going to cancel my trip, and he said, no, don't do that. You need to go. And it didn't really give me an option there. So I went ahead and went. And while I was gone, I remember getting a call. And he went and had the test done. They said he was in stage 4 cancer and they gave him five months to live if he did nothing he was going to die if he did nothing he wouldn't be with us today amen and how similar these circumstances were but the doctor said something that i don't ever remember hearing from a doctor he said if you will do exactly what i say if you will Allow me to go through this procedure. I am giving you 100% guarantee that you will be cancer-free in the end of five months. 100%. Now, I can't say that I believed him with all 100% of my heart, but that was quite a claim to make, wasn't it? And so we prayed about it, and Brother Dan prayed, Brother Abra prayed, Brother Tzafrir, Brother Howard, we all prayed. God, this could kill him. I've told you this, some of you. This could kill him. Amen. And it nearly did, honestly. This could kill him. This could be the end. But we prayed and we sought God. And the Lord spoke through Brother Dan. He was praying here. and It was pouring rain. He stepped out. And right in the rain, a rainbow appeared. Amen. And the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord spoke to me down in New Zealand. Spoke to my dad. And spoke to all the rest. And said, do it. It's going to be touch and go. We're going to have to pray every step of the way, but do it. Amen. And he did it. And many of us stood by him in those treatments when they poured pure poison into his body. Why would someone pour poison into your body? Only if you believed that there was already a poison that was going to kill you. And this was the only way to short-circuit it. Do you understand? Why would somebody undergo such torture, lose all of their hair, lose their strength, nearly ruin their heart? Why would somebody undergo 
so much duress, so much discomfort. Only if you had the conviction that this is going to result in a victory. Amen? If it had been 40% chance, I don't think he could have done it. I don't know at what percentage it would have tipped the scales and we would have felt like he can't take that risk. Do you understand? But because it was 100% certain by the word of the doctor and by the word of the Lord confirmed, we felt like we could do this. Amen? Where am I going? With the first case, the person wouldn't admit their problem. They wouldn't admit that they were dying, that they were under a deferred sentence. They wouldn't admit that it was too late for simple modifications and to outrun it. They were still trying to keep it under control, to hide it. They wouldn't admit the severity of their condition. But because my dad admitted the severity of his condition, then he could embrace the severity of his healing. Do you see what I'm saying? Amen. And he was willing to undergo that severe torture, really. What would be crazy? Why would anybody ever take a healthy person and put him on that table and pump those chemicals into him? You don't do that if you're healthy. You don't do that unless you're sure that what you're doing is going to end in death. If you still think this is going to work, you're not going to try anything radical. And that's how it is in our walk with God, too. Thank you, Jesus. Diagnosis is the first step in change. Amen? Some people live in a place of denial. They say there are crocodiles in denial, so you've got to be careful about that. But some people live in such a state of denial, they're just avoiding the reality. They hide from it. They turn their face and look the other way. They hear the sounds, the threats of what is really coming. They hear it in the tone of voice that their children have. They see it in the the fragmentation of their relationship with their spouse. They see it in their job. They see it in all, but they avoid it. They hide it. They distract themselves and busy themselves elsewhere because they don't want to reckon with the fact that they may be dying. And as Christians, we're conditioned to think that that's faith, that avoiding reality is faith. But avoiding reality is not faith. Faith can only come once we've embraced We've seen reality. We've accepted it. And then we say, God, what is your plan to fix this reality? Amen? So God has to give us a diagnosis. We live saying, I'm rich, increased with goods. I have need of nothing. I'm a Christian. Don't question my faith. That's not faith. That's illusion. That's assumption. Amen? That's what the Israelites had in Egypt when Moses first came. They said, who made you a ruler over us? We don't need your help. Amen. That's how we thank God when he first comes and tries to save us from our disease. Amen. Amen. But diagnosis is the first step. But diagnosis is not the cure. When God speaks to you and says, you're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, and you're naked. That's the first step. But that is not the cure. You're not cured then. In fact, if you stop there, you can hang a sign around your net that says loser or defeated. Amen. And you can walk around, well, you know, I tried, but... Amen. But that is not the end either. 
God has a word. Amen? I looked up the word prognosis. So there's diagnosis, and the next step is prognosis. The word prognosis comes from two words. Pro, from which we get the word prophecy. Pra, amen? And the other is gnosis, from which we get the Greek word gnosko, knowledge. Amen? So it means knowledge into the future. To know what is going to happen in the future. That's what a prognosis is. Now we think of it negatively, but Webster's actually says it's just the doctor's opinion on how the disease is going to respond to the treatment. Amen? So that's what we got to do in our own lives. That's what this man I tried to help, that's what he wouldn't do. Amen. He got the diagnosis and he wouldn't believe it. Because he was afraid of what that would mean. He was afraid of the implications that what that was going to actually have, have to mean in his life. Amen? And we're afraid of that. So we shut certain doors in our minds and we say, well, if I question this, then that's going to make me question that. And I don't even want to go there. So we live in denial. Amen. Amen. We've got to be willing to say, God, what is the condition of my heart? We've got to be willing to say, this is what you have promised, and this is what I am living, and these two things do not align. God, what do I have to do to bridge the gap between my present state and your promise? Amen? So there's diagnosis, and then there's prognosis. Amen. But the prognosis is dependent on the prescription, isn't it? Amen? Diagnosis, prescription, prognosis. And if we don't, if we haven't embraced the diagnosis, if we hadn't accepted the diagnosis, then we won't accept the prescription. We won't accept pure poison shooting into our heart through a valve in our chest. We won't do it. We won't make the changes we've got to make because we're still living in in make-believe. We're still pretending. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? But if we would be true with ourselves, if we would be honest, God does not want to give us the diagnosis so that we can walk out of his office defeated. God wants to give us the diagnosis so that he can give us his prognosis. And his prognosis is complete 100% victory if you'll do the prescription. Amen? If you will make the changes, it is 100% guaranteed. Amen? This is not maybe, almost, we hope. This is immutable. All the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in Him they are amen. Amen? We've got to believe it. Amen. We've got to believe God's Word. We've got to believe His version of reality. But then when we get the diagnosis, it's just as important that we believe His version of reality when it comes to the change He's going to work in our lives. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. We've got to, we've got to start adopting God's version of what we're supposed to be. We can't say, oh, I could never be like that. Isn't that wonderful? They must be special people. He must be a special man. She must be a special woman. No, it's just a special God. And if you'll believe Him, He can do the same special work in every single one of our lives. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed the God 
who calls those things that are not as though they were. And you know what things he's talking about? He's talking about these things, you and I. He calls those things that aren't as though they were. Amen? And you think about in the Bible all the times when God addressed people as if they were already something that they weren't. Amen? You probably think of Gideon, right? The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And he's whimpering and shivering like a scared little coward. Amen? Amen? He's not, he's not, doesn't feel like a mighty man of valor. Amen? And all the other times when he shows up to bless Mary, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. I mean, she was terrified. Bless her heart. I would be too. Amen? What about with Moses? When he came and told him to go down to Egypt, don't we all want God to use us? (laughs) When the Lord showed up and said, Moses, I want to use you, Moses didn't say, I've been waiting for God to call me. He didn't say that. He said, I can't do that. Amen. I can't make that change. That's too radical, God. Amen. And the Lord said, no, listen to the diagnosis. I can hear the sound of my people begging. They are groaning under the whip of Egypt. This has got to change. Amen. Amen. And Moses said, well, I can't. Brother Dan and I were talking. He reminded us how Moses said, I'm a man of stumbling speech. And then the Lord spoke to him some more, and he said, Lord, either before you spoke to me, nor after, can I speak any better? My paraphrase. Before God spoke to me, I was a stutterer, and I'm still a stutterer, even after God spoke to me. You see, that's what we want. We want God to speak to us, and all of a sudden, we're going to be superhumans. We can do this, and we can do it without trying. We can do it without sacrificing. We can do it without groaning and humbling ourselves and giving the last drop of energy we have we can't we cannot amen but the lord's anger burned at moses amen and he said i made you you're weak for a purpose so that my power can be made perfect in your weakness thank you jesus amen you see god has a picture of us that we don't yet have he has a picture of what we're supposed to become He has a picture of you five years down the road. Amen. Wouldn't you love to see that picture? Wouldn't you love to catch a glimpse of it? Well, most of us do. But when when God starts describing it, we say, that's not me. He must be talking about somebody else. Because I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm not a deliverer. I don't have any of that faith or courage or power. I'm just poor old failing me. Amen. Is that humility? Is that humility? No. It's belittling God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. What did Jesus say in Mark 11? Very misquoted passage. But what did he say? He said, And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart. Doubts, we think they come from our minds, but they don't. They come from our hearts. Amen. They come from our fears and our emotions. Does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen. It will be granted him. Listen. Therefore I say to you, 
all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted. He says they will be granted, which means they haven't been granted yet, right? So when he says, believe that you have received them, is that believing a lie? Is that make-belief? Power of positive thinking? What does he mean by that? Believe that you have received them. Past tense, I've already received them. And they will, future tense, be granted. What is he saying? He's saying, we serve the God who calls those things that are not as though they were. And that the miracles have to occur in the realm of faith before they're realized in the realm of action. They are real when they happen up here. They are real when you see what God has promised and you believe that you've already received it. You take possession of it in your mind and heart before it ever is realized in the realm of your actual life. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just worship God for a minute. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I've heard my whole life how when this church was still in New York and New Jersey, my dad and Brother Howard and Brother Joel would sit around in those inner city offices and they would talk. And they would say to themselves, someday we're going to have a general store. We're going to have a farm and fields and sheep and cows. Someday we're going to take our children out of the schools of this world and bring them into the institutions of the kingdom. Someday we're going to be a city set upon a hill. We're going to be a light. We're going to be a different people, a different culture that can be a witness to this whole world. Amen. They were dreaming it. They were seeing it all the way back in Paramus. What was happening? They were receiving it in the realm of faith. They were subjecting their minds and hearts to the promise of God. And it was theirs in the realm of faith before it ever became theirs in the realm of action. Amen? It was real. It was, it was a vision. It was in their minds before they ever took the first step. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. That's the way God does it, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. How does Paul tell us that we're going to be transformed? Isn't that what we all want? We want to be different people. We want to come out of our brokenness and into God's wholeness. We want to come out of our weakness and into God's power. Amen? We want to be transformed. How are we transformed? Our whole life is transformed when our mind is renewed. When we get the picture and the plan and the vision of what God believes we're going to be. And we embrace it, we believe it, and we pursue it with every fiber of our being. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's not humility to bring our weakness as an excuse for not changing. It's not humility to bring our, our habits or our brokenness as an excuse for not being transformed. It's belittling God. But God is bigger than that. 
And he's telling us, yes, you got problems. That's the diagnosis. But I've got a prescription. And if you'll obey me, I've got a prognosis. Amen. And it is 100% victory on every front. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship God. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Every one of us are at different levels. None of us are in the place we want to be. But don't let it happen that God reveals His plan and our place in it. And we say, oh no, that could never be me. we got to believe it. You're sitting amongst a people and in a place that nobody ever believed could be. Amen. We're serving a God that nobody ever believed in before. Amen. Amen. But He has done it. Thank you, Jesus. And He didn't just do it way back then. He has done it in our lifetime. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, I believe it. Amen. I believe I am receiving something from you. Amen. And I'm adopting it in the realm of faith, believing I'm going to realize it in the realm of action. I'm embracing it. I'm reminding myself of it. Amen. I'm stirring myself up. Amen. I'm quickening my mind. Amen. Preparing it for action. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And you can walk out tomorrow and you can say, I'm still broken. Well, you're just saying what Moses said. I'm neither eloquent of speech before or after you spoke. God, that's the big secret. He's not going to accomplish his great purpose through our strength. He can work with our weakness. But what he needs is our unqualified faith. Amen. He needs our commitment. This says, God, I've caught the vision. Amen. You've given us a vision, and I can see it in my mind. I can feel it in my heart, and I believe I'm going to realize it in my life. Amen. Even in that scary chapter in Revelations, look at how he ends it. He gives them a prescription and a prognosis. Can I read it to you? He says, he tells them that to the church of Laodicea. None of us want to be part of that church. Amen. And he tells them this horrible stuff. He says, I know your deeds. You're neither hot or cold. He says, you think you're rich. You're wealthy. You have need of nothing. But you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. That's the diagnosis for every single one of us apart from God. Amen. But that's not where it stops. He doesn't end the letter there. He says... Here's the prescription. Amen. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by the fire. And here's the prognosis. So that you may become rich. I advise you to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. I advise you to buy eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Amen. And you say, but ISAV burns. Do you believe in 100% guaranteed success? Then put it on. Just like my dad took the poison into his body. Put it on. Amen. 
Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Don't be discouraged and repent. Those two things have nothing in common. Repentance comes from a zeal that says, I can change this. If I'll do it, I get 100% guaranteed success. I can change this. Amen. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold. Here's more of the prognosis. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.